Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, September 1st, we are studying Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. The way of wickedness is darkness, but the path of righteousness is light. It is the road that you take that makes all the difference as to whether you stumble or not. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good to be here. So as we get started this morning, Pastor Goodman, just give us an introduction. What are some of the themes that we've seen in Proverbs that we're going to see come up today? How do we want to approach this text here in Proverbs 4? Right. So we're picking up at Proverbs uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Um, and we have the, the father uh, appealing to his son. We have Solomon uh, appealing to his children uh, to, to follow the way, the path of wisdom. And as we see it, there's going to be a lot of contrast. There, there's almost a duality, the, the wisdom and foolishness, the difference between walking and stumbling, light and darkness, faithfulness and, and wickedness. Um, over and over and over again, we're going to sh- be shown um, the, the wisdom that is Christ uh, given for, for sinners. Uh, against the folly of, of trying to, to save yourself by your own works. And, and so when we sort of maintain then uh, this sort of sharp contrast between that which is wise and that which is foolish, uh, it, it gives us a chance then as we start to sort through not only God's word, but the doctrine within it uh, to define those things which are are, are going to actually go well and, and uplift the Christian, uh, those things which will be edifying, and those things which, uh, while sadly may be very common, still do great harm to us. Uh, it, it lets us start to, to parse things uh, in a way that's different than um, everybody else is doing it. Uh, because uh, what, what we have here is, um, as we go through this text, uh, uh, well, uh, the reality that, that that which is foolish might not be rare. Um, but just because all the cool kids are doing it, um, it, it might not be a good reason for you. But if we can dis- if we can divide that which is wise from that which is foolish, uh, we, we can actually then um, see the way a- as a gift, um, even though few might walk it. And and again, just to to make sure when when you're there's there are dualities. I think you're or maybe duality isn't quite right. the, the word we want. I know that can be a loaded term, mm-hmm. but but there. In wisdom literature, like Proverbs, there are these two ways, two paths, and and you see the contrast very clearly between them. You're either on one or the other. There's not a middle ground. If we understand it like that, not not duality. Maybe again, not the best word, perhaps, but but right. there's two ways, and there's no middle ground. Uh, I want to go back that that distinction you drew between wisdom and foolishness. If I understood you right, Pastor Goodman, you said wisdom is to know that. Sinners are saved in Christ. Foolishness is to try to save yourself by your works. And that's where we want to start with wisdom and foolishness before we get to maybe the the difference between a wise work and a foolish work. Is that is that a fair thing to, to say? That's a helpful uh, approach um, because we can recognize then that, um, well, unbelievers can be very kind. We can recognize that uh, unbelievers can give to charity. We, we can recognize that both believers and unbelievers can do the same outward work and yet one would be wise and one would be foolish all the same because of, of uh, the, the, the end goal. Uh, you can give to charity, and this is a, a laudable thing, but nobody's ever given to charity their way into the kingdom of God. Um, but on the other hand, uh, those who, who find their shelter, their treasure in Christ, uh, well, if your treasure is in heaven, then so is your heart. And, and giving to charity is, is still a joy, but now it's a wise thing. Mm, right. So we, we want to start in the right place, and that will lead us down the right path. So let's let's take a look now at our text. We're in Proverbs 4, verses 10 through 19. I'll go ahead and read the whole text for us right away. Solomon writes, Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, 
and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat of the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. That's the text for today, Proverbs 4, verses 10 through 19. So a a very familiar start for us here in the book of Proverbs in verse 10. Hear my son, accept my words. We've we've heard Solomon do this over and over again in these first several chapters. He's talking as a father to his son. And we've looked at that several times, Pastor Goodman, but but you've got a few notes on the very first word, hear, hear my son. What about that first word? Why is that so important that he starts by saying hear, listen? The little words are sometimes the most important ones because they're so easy to, to pass over that you, you end up missing. But just the, the recognition that we're starting by uh, the reception of God's wisdom. Uh, to, to hear uh, is to receive. To, to hear is not to come to your own conclusions or, or come to your own actualizations or realizations. It's not to meditate on that which is within yourself, but it is to focus on something external, namely uh, the word. Uh, and we know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If we are starting simply in a call to hear, uh, this is already just going to be a, a radically different uh, way of wisdom than, well, if you go to the, the Eastern religions, which, which constantly call you to, to look within yourself for true wisdom, or, or, or um, even just the, the problem-solving day. Uh, problem-solving skills of today, which are, you know, make a pro and con list, uh, look within yourself, reason amongst your, your you know, that, that the surroundings, and try and sort it out for yourself, that, that we're called to hear. Uh, we're recognizing just from the very beginning uh, that, that if we're going to, to find a, a source of goodness, uh, that, that especially would, would grant uh, the years of your life would be many, uh, this, this wisdom is going to come from outside of yourself. So, so listen, hear. Mm. Right, and and not just listen to to anything, right? I mean, I think you know we live in a world that maybe would say be open minded, listen to to everything, be very open minded about it. But it seems Solomon's got a little bit more specific thing in mind here that we should listen to. Right, this isn't a call to hear everything. In fact, this is a call to to abstain from hearing certain things. Hear my words. Uh, hear hear God's word. If God is pouring out His wisdom, this isn't a call then to to also hear the the words of the evil one. This isn't a call to also hear the words of the world. This is a call to, to start with God's word so that as we, we are um, exposed then to the, the attacks from the evil one, so that we are exposed to, to the, the pains and trials of this world, we would start uh, with a, a help, a wisdom already rooted in uh, God's word and promise. How about this promise then that Solomon attaches to hear my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many? Is if we if we do what God says, is that a guarantee for a long life, Pastor Goodman? Uh, yes and no. So the fourth commandment is uh, given to us with a promise uh, on your father and mother that the years of your life would be many. And so we, we can see a, a general um, promise. Yes, um, things tend to go better in society when children honor their parents, uh, when everybody honors the authorities that have been given over them. Uh, in, in a you know one-to-one Ratio? Not necessarily. Uh, this is still a fallen world. And so um, it, it's not just then your sins which uh, bring about destruction, but sometimes it's it's those who sin against you. And so this isn't a, a promise then that um, if you make good choices and, and always read your Bible, uh, you'll, you'll make it to 100 years old. But this is a recognition that what God is giving is uh, not only a source of, of uh, mercy and life, but also a, a source of that which which actually builds up and does not destroy. Uh, the fourth commandment is is rooted in, in uh, natural law. Uh, that that uh, what God gives isn't sort of just a description of how things are, but He's actually building into society, um, building into His own creation a way that things are supposed to go, so that uh, following. God's law, walking in God's law, it will go better than breaking God's law. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we would do well to remember. Sometimes we we shy away from that kind of thing, but it is important to to keep in mind that God gave His law as the way that the world is designed to work, and when we follow in that path, things do generally go better for us. So, here, my son, listen to this: that the years of your life may be many. I, I also, in, in reflecting on this earlier, as I was preparing for this, Pastor Goodman, this idea of of, of listening my listening that the years of your life may be many that that ultimately and going with what you were saying about what true wisdom is that it starts with faith in Christ that that ultimately wisdom gives me many years of life because wisdom leads me to eternity that this is the salvation the resurrection that will be mine because of that and that that's the i mean i think ultimately that's how the years of my life will be many when i receive this wisdom from god that's great. And it kind of even calls back then to the point of, of who it is that is uh, speaking in the first place. Uh, when God would speak to us, understand that he speaks to us for our own good. And you can contrast that which the way uh, against the way that the enemy would speak to us, uh, against the way that even the world would speak to us. When God would speak to us, it's so that we would receive from him the gift of eternal life. He, he would give to us faith and, and hope and, and uh, trust in Jesus our Lord. When the devil would speak to us, when false prophets would speak to us, it's for something else that isn't for your good in mind. When the devil speaks to us, it, it's not to, to make you live, it's to make you die. When the false prophets uh, would, would speak to you, uh, it is for their own gain. It is for the, the gain of, of uh, that which is worldly and not eternal. And so when, when our Lord would tell us then uh, to, to not only listen to his word, but to flee from false prophets, from not entering the path of the wicked, uh, we can see that even just from the, the will of the one speaking, good things will come in that way. And following the will of those who will themselves life or will your death, well, obviously following those isn't going to go well for you. Hmm. Right. I mean, Jesus in, in John 10 talks about the voice of, of the the one who would come to, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but the sheep know his voice. And and that's that's what wisdom listens for, is the voice of of the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't say, do and do and do, but says it is done. It is finished for you. Now, Pastor Goodman, as as this text goes on, we've, we've seen many images in the book of Proverbs. And I think with this text, the primary image is the image of the way or the path. Which which one will you choose? There are two we're going to talk about, as, as we were saying at the beginning. There's, there's one or the other. The primary image is the way. In verse 11, Solomon says, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. And, and this term way should be familiar to us from what our Lord says in John chapter 14. Right. I mean, after all, Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Uh, ancient Christianity grabbed onto this too. Uh, we, we know about uh, Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. He was seeking those uh, who were members of the way, that that from uh, biblical times, Christians called the, themselves the way. Christianity was called the way. So when we talk about the way of wisdom, it, it gets really uh, straightforward for us. This is the way of Jesus. Uh, the paths of uprightness, those are, are um, that which is about Jesus. Uh, when, when, we, when we talk about Jesus as, as being the way, uh, then the path of, of wisdom is both the path of Christianity and Jesus himself because it's a definition of Christianity. Christianity is not measured in our works. Christianity is not measured in us and, and our holiness. It is simply Jesus given to sinners. And, and so if Jesus is the way that we are brought into uh, the, the kingdom from John 14, well, then we need to be near Jesus. This, this is all going to be about him. So, so the the path of wisdom, or the way of wisdom here, is Jesus. I I remember. I don't I don't know if you ever if you ever sang this song, Pastor Goodman. Uh, oh man, now I'm, I can't remember what it, what it was called. Uh, Lord, I lift your name on high. Okay, I know I'm I'm dating myself. I sang this in high school. Okay, Lord, I lift your name on high. But but the the refrain of that song starts. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. That's how it's written. And I had a had a pastor when I was in high school who who insisted, and I think he's right, to to changing it to, um, you came from heaven to earth to be the way. It's not just that Jesus shows the way, but he actually is the way. That sounds like what you're saying here, right? Because if if the way is going to be shown, then at, at best, with uh, what you have is not wisdom but knowledge. 
if, if this is the, the, the way that you do it, uh, that, that I'm going to, to show you, what I'm going to ask you to do is, is mimic it, duplicate it uh, in yourself, that by your efforts, you would come to it. But what we're talking about here is not knowledge of the path of salvation. Uh, even the demons know who Jesus is. That's, that's, that's knowledge. But wisdom is that which finds shelter in Jesus. If, if Jesus is the way, uh, well, then this isn't yours to, to sort of reproduce. It's yours to, to find comfort in because Jesus has already done it for you. Hmm. Now, there, I mean, there isn't, and we don't, I don't want to completely divorce those two things either, though, that, that when you are on this way, when, when the way is Jesus, then that faith does become active and works. You talked about that, that even, even the demons know who Jesus is. That sounds a lot like the way James speaks in James chapter 2, where he talks about that faith without works is dead. So we're not going to divorce those two things, but we're trying to put them in their proper order. Right. And you can even carry this forward even into just how Lutherans would make a distinction between law and gospel. Uh, it's, it's not enough simply to, to memorize uh, scripture passages if you can't actually find Jesus within them. Uh, it's not that we're doing away with the law, but it, it's, it's that uh, we don't simply trust in our works to do it, even though uh, the, the scriptures give us the, the Decalogue. Uh, the Ten Commandments are good, and Christians are called to walk in them. We are called to, to do them, to observe them, and to treasure them, to keep them. But if the entirety of, of your Christian hope is going to be found in your ability to do this, woe to you. Uh, on the other hand, to, to him who can rightly distinguish between law and gospel, uh, when we, we are crushed by the law, uh, we know exactly where to look, uh, that the name of Jesus would not be simply a, a hammer to beat somebody over the head with to try harder, but actually a hope and a help and a mercy and, and, and the forgiveness of sins won by him who died on the cross for you. Hmm. Verse 12 of Proverbs 4 says, when you walk your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. I mean, even the most sure-footed of people, it seems, stumble sometimes, Pastor Goodman. What, what is this verse saying? Right. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and, and if you run, you will not stumble. This is, this is not tied to you. Uh, this is not tied to your sure-footedness, because like you said, even the, the best of us will stumble sometimes. And me, I, I'm, I'm clumsy. I can't go anywhere without bumping into something. Uh, this, is a, this is about where you walk. Uh, again, remember, we are called back to, to walk the way of wisdom, the path of uprightness. Uh, this isn't how you walk, but, but where you walk. And, and so you're called then to, to walk in Christ, to walk in his righteousness, to, to walk in his mercy, to simply be baptized Take up the armor of God, not so that you, you wouldn't be um, around the devil anymore, but so that you would extinguish his flaming darts. Pick up then uh, the, the hope that is within you, uh, that, that is given in Christ, so that uh, when you are accused uh, for, uh, of your sins, it, because yes, you, you did certainly stumble, you would find a, a great joy to know that these sins have already been forgiven in Christ, and they are not your identity. They are not uh, your worth or your measure, but, but yours is in Christ, so that we can walk without being hampered by the accusations of, of the evil one. Uh, when, we, when we run, we will not stumble. Stumbling comes from the evil people, the, the evil paths, from the devil, from the world, from our own sinful flesh. Uh, and so when, when then Jesus, for example, would call us to, to walk on the narrow way um, and talk about the, the narrow gate to salvation, uh, what he's, he's calling us to see is how much that would pull us away from him. Uh, that this isn't sort of a, a measurement of, of only that the really, really great people will go to heaven. Uh, like, like so many of the, the things of this world would, would have us believe that, that if, uh, if your goods outweigh your evil, if, uh, if you have really, truly been an upright person, then you are one of the, the greatest who have walked that narrow path to, to salvation. No, what we simply recognize is that Christ is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. And everything would, would, would try and pull us from him, the devil, the world, our own sinful flesh. But guarded in him, kept in him, we can walk without fear of being pulled away from this. We can walk without uh, stumbling because over and over again, we are, we are called back to, we are pulled back to Jesus. Uh, if, if we start to, to look at this as, as a location, that the Christianity is in Christ, well, then that means that you don't have to sort of both run from the world and hide out in the monastery, but you also don't have to, to 
uh, to, to fear uh, your own sinful flesh, even as you, you follow it, you, you, you strive for good, you wrestle with evil. But in all of it, though, you know who you are in Christ. You are, are baptized so that every single day uh, when, you, when you wake up to, to serve your neighbor, to, to love your Lord, to rejoice in his gifts, you do so as one firm in the knowledge of salvation. I, I think that, that recognizing that the reason your steps aren't hampered and you're not going to stumble is because of the location that you're walking, and that location is in Christ. I think that that is such a huge comfort and, and an important point to make, that, that nothing is going to separate us from, from his love. I mean, I'm reminded of, of Romans 8, as you were talking there, Pastor Goodman. And, and also, I mean, I think that, that seeing it this way gives us comfort especially in our times of suffering and trial that we undergo, particularly for being Christians, but but any suffering or trial that we undergo, because I, I think the temptation would be for us to view those as, as moments of stumbling or our steps being hampered when, when we are experiencing those trials. And yet when we are in Christ, we know that he is using even those for our good and that they too will not separate us from his love. Right, and this is still a, a temptation of the evil one to, to have us question where we are. Uh, so we, we can go then in, into this world and, and we can say, well, look, my, my, my steps are hampered everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, things are hard. I'm failing. This, this must be a sign that I am not in, in the Lord. Uh, the devil would always have us try and measure God's mercy by the, the surroundings, by our outward experiences. Uh, this enthusiasm, though, is, is a dangerous, dangerous thing because every time we need God the most, he will always seem the farthest away. But instead, if we remember where we are, uh, that we are in Christ, we can say uh, all of these things surround us, but Christ will still carry us forward. Christ will still drag us, even if he needs to, all the way to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And so these things, these trials, these temptations, they are not the measurement of God's love. Uh, They are the things that he has already conquered when he died and rose for me. Solomon continues in verse 13, keep hold of instruction, do not let go, guard her, for she is your life. Uh, keep hold of instruction. What's the force of that, that phrase? To, to treasure it. And that's an important distinction, too, um, especially when Christians are given, uh, well, the law. Uh, we, we are to keep the law. And so much so, uh, there's, for some reason, there's this impotence in English to, to make this simply obey. Um, and it's not that keep it does not mean obey. That means that you can keep it without obeying it. But, but to keep it is actually deeper than obeying it. If I, if I were to tell you, you know, I'm going to go swimming. Will you keep my phone for me? I'm not telling you to obey my cell phone. I, I'm, I'm saying Keep this thing safe. Treasure it. Make sure that it is not damaged. Do not let go. Guard it. Um, and, and it might confess my idolatry, for that might be a little bit too much of my life. Uh, but in all of it, what we can see, though, is when God actually gives us forth uh, his word, both law and gospel, uh, Christians treasure it. To, to keep it is to recognize that this is important, even if I'm not a be- uh, the perfect example of it. The, the, the fourth commandment, for example, doesn't cease to be the fourth commandment just because I'm not a perfect demonstration of it. But even when I fail, all the while I can confess my sins, recognizing that the fourth commandment is a good commandment to have, even if I have failed to keep it, because it's from my good God. When, uh, when we can see the law as a gift, then all of a sudden we don't have to try and minimize it just because we can't perfectly obey it. What we really have it when we, we sort of muddle the, these words, keep and obey into this, this uh, hodgepodge of uh, works righteousness is the the overwhelming temptation to do away with God's law and to stop treasuring the thing that he gives us and calls us to love. Uh, Because if if my uh, outward obedience is the only measurement of of whether or not I treasure the law, well, clearly I I despise it uh, because I I sin daily and and often. And so what we tend to do then with the law is is we say, well, uh, this doesn't count as a sin because, and we come up with our own loophole or self-justification, or or we let go of Luther's explanations to the commandments. And so murdering is is no longer about um, uh, not helping our neighbor. It's just no stabby stabs. Um, And all the while, we, we diminish that which God has given us as a gift. To, to call the, uh, the focus uh, of this verse, to, to keep hold of it, to not let go, to guard her. Uh, it's a recognition then that, that we hold on to both the law and the gospel because they're gifts from God. And, and within them, uh, they're, they're not uh, measured by 
are obedience, but they're, they're measured by him who made them good in the first place. And so even when I am not a perfect example of these things, I, I come back to them over and over again. And it actually lets us then start to confess our sins. If your desire is constantly to diminish the law so that you can claim you obeyed it, you're actually getting farther from the law, aren't you? But if, if we can treasure the law, that means that I am actually brought closer to God's law every time I confess my sins. Because I say, you know what the fourth commandment really is? It's not the thing I did. I, a poor, miserable sinner. This is the real fourth commandment. Have mercy upon me and, and, and let me, let me uh, continue to, to receive from you. Uh, when we want to look at this as, as if God actually gives us good gifts, all of a sudden we don't need to be further away from it to, to uphold ourselves. We can, we can actually see the gifts for what it is as, as something worth guarding. And I mean, I think there's a there's a connection here from this text to the one we looked at yesterday. You know, keep hold of instruction, guard her in the parallel sections of this verse. Go back up to verse six in this same chapter, where where Solomon writes, "Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you." So we keep hold of this and we guard this wisdom because we know that through this wisdom, God is keeping us and guarding us. That's beautiful. And inside of it, again, that the. Uh... The measurement of the gift given isn't in our ability to demonstrate it. It's in the giver. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's it all it is all about the giver. And and I like what you said about about keeping that central that recognizing that both law and gospel come to us as gifts, so that we would treasure them and keep them as the gifts of God that they are. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, September 1st. We are looking at Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 19 with Pastor Harrison Goodman. He serves at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Goodman, prior to the break, we were looking at Proverbs 4.13. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. And you've got a, a note here that talks about this verse and the connection between doctrine and life. Right. And this is one of those places where so many people actually turn then to God's word as a, as a way to sort of connect God's deeper truths to how we actually have to deal with the reality in our own life. Um, and, and a long time ago, I think it was Luther, correct me if I'm wrong, who said doctrine is heaven, life is earth. Um, that sounds right. And um, we, we sort of recognize then doctrine is of heaven, that it is God-given. It is perfect. And so we don't, we don't muddle God's word. We don't reduce or diminish God's law because it is from heaven. Life is of earth. And, and so in life, of course, there's all sorts of things that don't measure up. Uh, doctrine is heaven. Life is earth. But the thing is, one will always shape the other if, if it's given any sort of uh, leeway to. Uh, in other words, uh, doctrine can actually shape our life for wisdom. If we actually continue to go back to God's word, if we keep hold of instruction, if we treasure her, uh, then as we start to deal with the things of this life, we can go then to, for example, uh, any of the, the current events, issues go on, and we can say, how do God's Ten Commandments speak to this? What can I learn from this? That's not simply a, have I found a perfect way um, to, to live my life without any error or any sin? Uh, we're, we're not going to come to that in this life. Uh, but what we can see, though, is, well, the, this particular current event calls to question, for example, the sixth commandment. And if we continue down this path, things will get worse because sin breaks stuff. So if we actually allow then doctrine to shape life, we are, are brought down the path of wisdom. But on the other hand, um, there is this temptation to diminish God's law, to let life shape doctrine. And this is down the path of foolishness. Uh, to, to allow life to shape doctrine would to be to say, for example, well, because I cannot uh, do this, or even I just don't want to do this, I'm going to find a way to do away the do with the doctrines that, that would call for it. Uh, I, I, this is, I, I, I mean, sort of the painful reality right now for us. 
would be uh, how we're, we're all wrestling with the, the issues of, of the coronavirus. And I don't want to poke too much of a bear. But for example, uh, the, the doctrines which God gives us uh, in the third commandment uh, are hampered by the life of this world right now. And we can do one of two things. We can either maintain the truth of God's word about the gifts that he gives to us in word and sacrament. And then we can recognize that uh, in this life, we do not fulfill the law. We, we are not able to perfectly uh, live in this life the way that we ought to. But we would still rather doctrine shape our life than our life shape our doctrine. Because the other thing that we can do inside of this pandemic is do away with the doctrines because they are more convenient in the face of the pandemic. And we've sadly seen evidence of both. Uh, we've seen a, a lot of people striving then to, to how, uh, how can they best give God's gifts uh, to the sinners inside of their churches? And, and as, as uh, laity, how can we best receive God's gifts in a place where it might be illegal for me? to go into the congregation, uh, to recognize that the doctrine should shape the life is to strive to receive God's gifts. But to allow the life to shape the doctrine would be simply then to, to say, God's gifts don't matter because this is the new normal. Um, I, I, I don't want to, to simply say, if you are not sort of running around without a mask by any means, uh, or, or go into to a call to disregard the laws, uh, it, it's, a, it's a recognition that life is earth, life is messy, life is full of sin. But doctrine is still of heaven, and those, those things don't change. Those aren't reduced simply because you can't fulfill them. We, however, want doctrine to shape our life. We want to keep hold of instruction, to not let go, even in the face of all that would, would have us do so. Uh, we, we always want to return to God's word for a shaping uh, of that which is true and beautiful and virtuous and, and for that which, which is uh, merciful for us. Yeah, the, the temptation is always for us to let life shape doctrine rather than the other way around. And, and perhaps another example, which might might be a bit uncomfortable, but I think is a, a good example, is, is for example, a, a faithful Christian couple who has children who are cohabitating before marriage, and that's about the time where that faithful Christian couple decides, well, maybe that's not so bad a thing after all. Where if you had asked them when they were getting married, should you be living together prior to marriage? They would have said no. Now that they see their own children engaging in it, well, then maybe the do the life starts to shape the doctrine instead of the doctrine shaping the life. Right, and and carry this forward because when you let uh, life shape doctrine, it's never simply uh, a commandment that's done away with. It's it's always uh, it's always hope that ultimately ends up being destroyed. Uh, so go then to the, the couples that are, are cohabitating and, and recognize then this might not even be the first time they're cohabitating with somebody. Uh, recognize that, that they might have not only been given uh, in, in body, but also in, in heart to another person. And then they've severed that relationship. Uh, we've got in the, the issue of cohabitation, uh, how many people struggling with how many divorces they'll never call divorce. And they'll never actually look for forgiveness or, or mercy. They'll, they'll never want to call this anything other than a, a mistake in their past. And all the while, our Lord is, is actually crying out that they would turn into him when they are wearied by the pains of this world, when they are guilty and ashamed of their past. Um, when we try and do with away with the law, because we don't want to be called sinners, the one thing that we can never be called is forgiven. And if we can't be called forgiven, the best that we can be called is, um, is modern. I would rather be called a forgiven sinner than somebody who perfectly understands a modern time. Uh, when, when we want to just measure ourselves by how modern we are, understand modernity is always changing. That which is modern last year is already outdated. And so when, yes, all the cool kids are doing it, um, yes, it is the temptation to have life-shaped doctrine. We can acknowledge that, yes, the temptation exists. But at the same time, when we allow life to shape doctrine, well, doctrine is truth. And Jesus in that very same verse that we started with him being the way, we also recognize Jesus is the truth. The thing that gets diminished every single time we would try and allow our life to shape our doctrine and end up diminishing the law, the thing that's ultimately diminished is Jesus, because that's one less place that we can talk about his mercy. That's one less place we can talk about his forgiveness and his life. And, I mean, I think, too, you know, this, this verse says that, that instruction is your life. So when we start letting life shape our doctrine, not only are we diminishing the doctrine, but we're also diminishing the life that we have. The, the doctrine is life, and, and if we would let the doctrine shape the life, as we were saying at the beginning with the fourth commandment in verse 10 of this text, well, yeah, maybe you're not going to have the longest, that may not be a, a guarantee of a hundred-year life if you obey your parents, 
But is life generally going to go well? Yes, because that's the way that God has given you in his word. And so when, when, we, when we reverse things, not only do we end up destroying the doctrine, but we do end up destroying the life too. And, and part of this is, I mean, this is why God cares about it in the first place is because he's not trying to give you something bad. He's trying to give you something good. And that's why he's giving you the doctrine to shape your life as well. Absolutely. Uh, to, to write, I mean, and you went to the third one too. Jesus is the way and he's the truth and he is the life. Uh, we, we can recognize that if God gives good gifts, then the things that he gives are actually working for, like you said, are, are good. Then go then, uh, even statistically, to the people who cohabitate before marriage and recognize their divorce rates are higher. And just maybe those two are connected. And, and then recognize too uh, that... Recognize too that that if if the entire impotence of, of your relationship with God's word is how to justify yourself, anytime Jesus wants to call together the weary and the sinners, you see them run. They they go the other way. They don't turn in towards Him. This is the path of foolishness. And again, it's not that they don't know the sixth commandment. It's that rather than seeing it as not only yes a path towards goodness, but also a part of Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life, something that Jesus died for uh, and, and something that Jesus forgives. This is a call uh, to, to be brought closer to Jesus, not farther from him. If we look to the sixth commandment and we end up fleeing from life uh, for, for the sake of self-justification, we end up farther from God, not, not on the way. Solomon continues in verse 14. Now he's going to, to talk about the other path, the other way. And he says in verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. When, when Solomon says, do not enter the path of the wicked, who's he talking about? We're not just talking about sinners here. The, the wicked, word, the word wicked in scripture, it, it's, it's a word for unbelief. There, there is a difference between sin and unbelief. Uh, and uh, it's not that either one is better than the other, but it's, it's that the, the, the church is actually readily equipped to deal with sin. You have a pastor who will pronounce absolution for you. You have a baptism. You have God's word and promise. You have the Lord's Supper. There are, there are countless ways that our Lord would forgive your sin. It's, it's easy. It's free. It's, it's here for you. It was paid for in blood so that it would be such a, a, a readily attainable gift that God would have it sent into all corners of the world. Wickedness is an unbelief. Wickedness is, uh, um, it is making sin into a new God. Wickedness is, is uh, setting lust over the Lord. It, it is uh, it is a raw unbelief, and that's that's a harder nut to crack. That can only be uh, addressed through a, a, a repentance, through through hearing God's law, which would uh, produce in us contrition, and hearing God's gospel that would produce in us hope. That that uh, when we are are uh, called out of death onto life, we might no longer be wicked, but we would be holy. Uh, when when Solomon says, do not enter the path of the wicked, that, that isn't form a, a convent that's away from any other sinner. And every other time you, you see somebody who happens to be a sinner, run away from them. Uh, but, but that's a recognition that the, the path of unbelief, it, it runs counter to the path of the gospel. It runs counter to the path of Jesus. Do not walk in the way of, of the evil. Uh, Jesus saves even fools. Uh, but that's not because they're fools without being sinners. Um, Isaiah, for example, 35, 8 says, there will be a highway, it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it belongs to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. This is a promise uh, that, yes, you're a sinner, but sinners can walk on the way. It, it, it's the wicked, the, the unclean that, that cannot be on there. Uh, and so it, it's a call then to, to measure yourself based on an identity either in yourself, which is wickedness, or in Christ, which is God-given. Solomon continues talking about this path of wickedness. Verse 15, avoid it, do not go on it, turn away from it, and pass on. It couldn't be clearer there as to <laughs> That's what... Just, yeah, big old sign. <laughs> it's very clear. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's not mincing words, is he? Um, th th this is, uh, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Nope. Uh, well, I've got a really good excuse. Also, nope. Uh, but but it feels good. Also, still nope. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away. Do not pass on. Go go pass on the, the right way. Um, this is that that sort of, as you get closer to the cliff, the signs get bigger and bigger and bigger. Because we, we recognize sin breaks stuff. The, the reason our Lord calls us away from the, this path of darkness is because it hurts, it condemns, it, it, it's awful. It's not a call to sin that grace would abound. In fact, shall we sin that grace may abound? Well, 
by no means. Uh, when when you are, are given uh, in this this life uh, the, the 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 vocations uh, that that our Lord would bestow upon you, you can use them selfishly, but you shouldn't. That yes, I, I'm not questioning. Could Jesus forgive it? I'm questioning. Should you do it in the first place? And the answer is always no. The, the path of the wicked. Uh, the, the path of unbelief that that comes from putting yourself over God's word that that comes from setting uh, the, the the ways of, of the world against the ways of the Lord and then running from the Lord. That's a bad path. Don't go down that road by no means. Yeah. And, and so and then as, as Solomon continues, then he starts talking, it sounds like about those now who are walking on that path mm-hmm. and what it looks like for those to walk on that path. So verses I'm going to take verses 16 and 17 together here. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. As as I was reading that in preparation for this study, you know, it, it reminded me there's there's a you know a person eats, drinks, and sleeps, whatever. So mm-hmm. those who who are on this path, it's the evil eats, drinks, and sleeps only evil. It sounds like I mean this is not. This is not a happy description that Solomon's giving us here. Right. Um, and I, I, I kind of almost want to be careful. Uh, I, I, was, sure. I was 19 when I was brought to faith. Um, and, and praise God that, that through his word, through his water, um, that this happened. But I also recognize that I, I still carry with me friends from, from before who um, I, I don't see staying up all night plotting evil deeds and twisting curly mustaches. Um, I, I recognize that unbelievers can also be kind. Um, but inside of this, though, um, it, it's, it's a, that, that which brings you the comfort to sleep at night. Um, the things that let me find comfort when I sleep at night, uh, well, we, we pray Luther's evening prayer. Uh, let your holy angels surround me that the evil foe may have no power over me. I commend myself to the Lord and his mercy and his strength that I would sleep comfortably in my bed wherever I am. Um, if your comfort is not in God, uh, it has to be in how you've, how you've set yourself in this world. Uh, and, and here, what we see is, is a self-justification that again allows life to shape doctrine, that, that actually can say there are right reasons to do wrong things, that, that two wrongs can, can in fact make a right. And, and so here, um, we can find great comfort in having wronged an enemy. Here we can find great comfort in having won a battle, even if it's against one uh, against someone for whom Jesus has died. Uh, if, if your measurement of comfort at night is winning, that's a different place from shelter in God. Um, and inside of all of it, we, we sort of push ourselves closer and closer to vengeance, uh, which is an awful, awful place to be. Uh, not just because uh, it, it, it so seeps through us, but because it, it, again, pulls us away from Jesus. It pulls us away from God. Vengeance is the idea that we need to punish somebody because I'm pretty sure God will not do his job right, and so I need to do it for him. Uh, but, but our Lord tells us vengeance is mine. He will repay. Uh, the Lord will judge his people. This is Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, if, if your thing that lets you sleep at night is that you can somehow find a way to work punishment on people so that life will be fair in your eyes, uh, what you're doing is, is not only pulling away the Lord's ability to, to then separate, uh, the, the, the sheep from the goats, but it's also saying that it should be done by works and not by by faith, not by gospel, not by Jesus, that the people who should be punished should be the ones who hurt you, not the people who should be punished were the ones that the Lord says should be. Hmm. So if I don't have the comfort that comes through the forgiving blood of Christ to lead me to sleep at peace at night, I can only have the peace that comes through my self-justification, whatever whatever that looks like. What about the imagery of eating and drinking in verse 17. It's not just eating and drinking, though. It's eating bread and, and drinking wine, uh, which I, I kind of have to see if we're seeing such such sort of a, a contrast between uh, wisdom and foolishness, between light and darkness. Well, there is a place where, where bread and wine are actually used for great good for those who walk on the way of wisdom. Uh, our, our Lord would give us his body and blood to eat and drink for forgiveness and life and, and salvation. You do not eat the bread of wickedness. You eat the bread that is the body of Christ. You don't drink the wine of violence. You drink the blood of Jesus for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Uh, if we want to to sort of grab hold of then those things that which are are foolish, they are set against 
God's sacraments. They are set against God's mercy. Uh, foolishness is, is opposed to wisdom. And, and here we, we have something opposed to communion, which uh, I think we actually saw uh, Paul deal with inside of 1 Corinthians when we, we know, for example, there are, are right ways and wrong ways to commune, uh, not because the Lord simply drops us uh, bullet points of doctrine out of, out of the sky, but because Paul, a pastor, had to write to Corinth, a, a church in Corinth, and say, hey, you guys can't be doing this. And this is the reason that some of you are weak and ill and some have even died. Uh, some of you are, are eating the bread of, of, of wickedness and some of you are drinking the wine of violence at the Lord's table. What? By no means should we commend you in this. Uh, that that there, there is everywhere. God uh, would establish a, a good gift, uh, a devil who is very much working to pervert this, to twist it in on itself. And it's an important thing to, to recognize too, because we always sort of imagine that the works of the evil one would, would be uh, when they are opposed to God, uh, dramatically different looking. But the devil always wants to pervert God's good gifts because the devil can't make anything. The devil can't make new things to, 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 uh, to condemn. He can only try and twist God's things into that which is foolish. He can twist the way of wisdom into the way of foolish. He can twist the good sacrament for you, for the forgiveness of sins, into a, a chance to, uh, in Corinth's sake, uh, get drunk. Uh, in uh, uh, some churches, a, a chance to just simply, you know, pass around a bread basket and, and remember Jesus, which is every bit as foolish. Because if all you're doing is remembering Jesus, well, that's like trying to remember a cheeseburger to get less hungry. It's, it's actually going to make it worse. Uh, it's not going to help at all. Jesus puts himself in the bread and wine for you for the forgiveness of your sins, not simply so that you can remember how great it used to be when Jesus was around, but so that you can receive Jesus who is there now in the remembrance of the, the covenant that is uh, is unending uh, because it was, it was paid for in his blood, in a remembrance that simply even God remembers you. Uh, when, when God gives us uh, bread and wine, recognize the foolish path will be to pervert these gifts. Uh, th this is a recognition that when the devil grabs hold of God's symbols, he always wants to pervert them. Um, and it's, it's sometimes even a measure of, of how powerful a gift it is. Like, look at the things that, that uh, the culture, uh, the church even, would argue over. Um, and recognize that, that when the devil makes a big push against something, it might be because it's powerful. Uh, when the devil makes a big push against the rainbow, it might be because that was such a wonderful symbol of comfort. When, when there is such uh, conflict over a sacrament that's supposed to bring you know, a common union, communion, recognize that that might be a place where God wants to work tremendous good. And this is all the more a chance to reflect upon the way of wisdom so that as we are gathering around God's gifts, we would not allow them to be perverted, twisted into the way of foolishness. In the last two verses, Pastor Goodman, Solomon takes this imagery of the path that he's been going with all along, and he adds the image of light and darkness into it. So I'm going to read these two verses together again. This is Proverbs 4, 18 and 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. We've got about five and a half minutes, Pastor Goodman, to talk about these two verses. If you if you would, for the sake of trying to, to end on the path of the righteous, let's talk about the way of the wicked first in verse 19. I like it. Um, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. Uh, that doesn't stop them from stumbling just because they don't know what's there. But this is still what lawlessness would always try to do. Um, watch as we try and get rid of the Ten Commandments in our culture. Watch as we try and get rid of God's law in our society. And then just ask, has life gotten better? Um, have people gotten happier when they have divorced uh, marriage um, and, and family? Uh, have, have people gotten happier when they have, have said that, uh, that that's abortion is, is the way that, that we can sort of have it all and make sure that our paths are, are always full of success. When, when you get rid of the law, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, you're still going to just stumble. You're just going to stub your toe in the dark. That's actually worse. Now you at least get to see it coming. And, and yeah, you might not be able to always avoid it. But at, at the same time, uh, to just get rid of, of God's law is not necessarily to find a path that you can walk on. It's just to stumble over in the dark and never actually understand why things are going so poorly. Uh, the way of death, it, it of course seems right to us. But that's because we are born of darkness. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and we're actually very comfortable there because by nature we are dead in the trespasses 
of our sins. But to sort of transition back up to the path of the righteous, this is the light of dawn. This is that which comes into darkness, that darkness would not overcome it. This is that which shines light on the fact that you guys are stumbling around in the dark and you're pretending you're fine, but all of you are hurting. And God does not give us the law then simply to to show us uh, how to behave, but to to call light on that which will do more damage, but more, to to free us from darkness so that, that gathered into him, we might actually receive healing. We see then that the the law is given not simply to condemn, because you're going to hurt whether or not you knew it was a table you stubbed your toe on. The the law is given that you would see that you need help, that there is no way for you to get from here to where you want to go on your own. When the light is turned on and I see that there are Legos over every inch of the floor and I need to make it from my my bedroom to the, the kitchen to get a glass of water, I say, woe to me because there is no path forward. The, the way, though, is Jesus. Uh, the, the Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 13, tells us that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We might be born into darkness, but what is light to do with darkness? You, you are a child of God. You are a child of the dawn. You are, are, are brought into Jesus, who shines brighter until the full day. Um, and, and so we, we can recognize that, yes, this, this world has pain and torment everywhere we look, but it also has Jesus in it. Uh, the, the, the light has entered the darkness, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The, the hope of Christianity is not how to navigate this life so that you always make good decisions. The hope of this life is that Jesus enters into a dark place, bringing with him righteousness for you, mercy for you, uh, a light which shines over uh, and above the things of this world that... that uh, that, that are dark, and it's light that, that actually not only envelops you, but, but transfers you into the kingdom of light so that your identity would be a child of God, so that, that you would be brought into the path of wisdom, the way of Jesus, and so have life in his truth. Real briefly, Pastor Goodman, with just two minutes here, that, that verse 18 where it talks about this path of the righteousness, the light of the dawn, is is then the way that you've been laying out is not so much about how much we do in terms of the law, but it is about how much has been done for us in Christ, who is the light of the world. Absolutely. And, and that's actually ultimately how it's always going to sort of be contrasted, because at the end of the day, there really are only two religions in the world. There's the religion of the law and the religion of the gospel. And that doesn't mean that the law is dark, but it means that you can't do enough works inside of darkness to bring light. The the light comes from the gospel. The the great joy of Christianity is that it is simply the gospel, Jesus Christ for sinners. Your religion is not one of the law, but one of the gospel. That doesn't mean you do away with the law. That doesn't mean that you don't have the law, but it means that, that your religion, your hope is not your doing, but Jesus giving. Pastor Harrison Goodman is the pastor at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. Pastor Goodman, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks so much for having me. The way is Jesus. He is the light of the world. And because of how wonderful a way he is, your steps are not hampered. You will not stumble. Nothing can separate you from his love when you are in Christ. He is the way. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.